and ultimately that's IT and development's biggest fear of the tag manager is that marketing is just going to go rogue and deploy stuff. I, I think the best run tag management practices I've seen have been a Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Growing up, um, we, we don't have a major league baseball team in, in Utah. Uh, so I grew up watching triple a baseball, uh, in Salt Lake. Um, and then started with the affiliate, um, in Ogden, which is now a, a Dodgers affiliate. And then when I moved to where I live now, um, near Provo, uh, they had an angels affiliate rookie league team that I bought season tickets to for, uh, several seasons. I still love minor league baseball way more than the mm-hmm. major league. It is so fun, but I've been to two major league baseball games or stadiums and they are, they couldn't have been more exact opposite. I sat in the outfield, uh, at Fenway where the wall is like two inches high, like that side of the wall on the other side of the green monster. I sat in that, those outfield seats next to the bullpen, um, and listening to all the Boston fans, uh, you know, have a few choice words for they were playing the Braves that day, uh, relief pitchers in the bullpen. Amazing. Um, amazing food on these grills that look like they haven't been cleaned in 70 years. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so good. And then I don't know the name of the park if it's changed, but I went to Coors Field uh, in Denver and watched a Rockies game and I sat in one of the suites. Um, and I couldn't have had two more opposite experiences. I, I'll take the Boston experience. It, as, as amazing as the suite was and the food and the plush chairs and the big screen TV, you, I, you can't beat that that experience sitting in uh, in Fenway. So Jim, are you a season ticket holder? Um, not for baseball. Uh, I used to be a season ticket holder for the Philadelphia Flyers, the hockey team. Um, before me and my buddy, uh, both had families, like right after we got out of college and got established in our careers, we went and bought season tickets. Cause that was something we always talked about in high school. So once we got settled in our careers, went, but I went and got flyer season tickets and we had them for about 12 years. And then, uh, he and his wife had kids and now I, I've got one of my own. So, you know, unfortunately, that was one of the things that had to get cut. We try to get to a game or two a year, just one off. So in hockey, yeah, everyone outside the outside America probably talks about the fights. Have you seen any proper fights? Is it just oh, what you yes. see around so like one fight every every hundred games? Yes. So I forget what year it was. I'd have to go look it up. Maybe it was 2004, 2005. Flyers playing the Ottawa Senators at home. And they had played the week prior up in Ottawa, and there was a really dirty hit. Uh, you know, one of the Ottawa players hit one of the Flyers, and you know, it was it was a d- dirty play. So you could tell the t- you could feel the tension. You could feel that that carried over. And the the last portion of the third period was nothing but brawls, like line brawls, just everyone dropping their gloves and fighting. The last three minutes took 30 minutes to complete with all the stoppages and po- counting up the penalties. That game holds the NHL's p- 
penalty minute record combined across both teams. It's on YouTube. You look it up. I, I was at that game. That's that's amazing. That's I've never been to an NHL game. I think the closest I've ever been to a professional hockey game is I saw Finland versus Russia in the 2002 Winter Olympics. Nice, that's amazing. Be good. That had I, I think that Finland team had some deep talent that year. Um, anyway, but you you've got a minor league hockey, hockey team up by you. We do, yeah. In the Utah Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was so 20, go, yeah. 2011 when Randy and I were out there. 2010 or 2011 for uh, Adobe Summit. Was that the year of the uh, infamous uh, spicy, yes. uh, spicy, uh, spicy sushi, sushi challenge? Sushi challenge. Yes. Okay. Um, then that's a whole other story. But uh, he and I kind of hung around for a couple of days afterwards, and we didn't fly home right away. And we went and caught uh, a um, Utah Grizzlies game. Awesome. Yeah, it was funny. I, I had a Flyers sweatshirt with me. <laughs> and like people were coming up and high fiving me with my flyer sweatshirt on. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did go to the NBA last year when I went to New York, Madison Square Garden. Um, so my first basketball game. Interesting. I mean, it's hard to, you know, what you see, like, um, you watch The Last Dance, which is a brilliant documentary. It's very different, I guess. If you don't watch multiple, if you don't watch so many basketball games, it's, it's, a, it's very much stop start, stop start. And yeah, I guess it's all, I guess it's all around. The euphoria around how it all works and you know it's entertainment around it yeah basketball's a, a whole other thing i've probably been to the most pro basketball games of, of any pro sport um i used to be a uh minor league soccer no major league soccer uh season ticket holder at real salt lake um but yeah growing up i went to a lot of utah jazz games um they are that that atmosphere inside of a packed basketball stadium, maybe NHL matches it, but you get like what 30,000, 20, 30,000 fans smashed into a small building, kind of feeling like you're all falling down onto the court, and then the lights and the fire and the smoke and the noise from the it's it's a whole other level. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I mean, like, I, I, I guess I come from the other side. I watch like I'm a big into cricket. I don't know. I guess Americans aren't really into cricket, but. That's something special as well. I mean, but Americans, don't. I, I, it's, it's it's too uh, Americans. Uh, although they like baseball, I think cricket mm-hmm. is way too drawn out for Americans. But I think they just don't understand understand no, it. No, so. but here America are looking to get to become an official team, and they want to host a World Cup in twenty thirty or something like that around that mm-hmm. time. Cricket is very much similar to baseball. So there's three different formats. You've got the test cricket, which is like five days, six hours, six, seven hours each day, which is long. Then you've got uh, 100 over, which is like nine hours. Then you've got the T20, which is like three hours, three, four hour long, which is very similar to the baseball game, which is very similar. I, I guess, you know, I, I, you know, for sports, it's just like, hope we can get back to what it was yeah. sooner, sooner, sooner than later. Get back to those atmospheres and everything. Because obviously, if you get sports back, then you drive an economy with hospitality and entertainment, restaurants, hotels, um, trains and restaurants and bars and all that kind of stuff. Then he drives the whole economy globally. Until you don't get sports back, then you know, yeah, it's like we're not we're not back at some we're not back at normality. Yeah. Well you sure. never got I don't know what hundred percent normality is possible. But you want to once sports is back and you allow hundred percent fans, then you know we're on the right tracks. For, for sure. Yeah, there's so much wrapped around it. And and just a side note, about a year ago, I got into 
uh, test cricket, which I prefer to any other format. I love the long Good. format. Um, yes. I, unfortunately, I'm limited to whatever I can get on ESPN Plus. Although I think the new Peacock app is streaming some some cricket matches, but I just don't have a lot of content on the streaming networks that I have access to that that have test test cricket available. But I I just fell in love with it. I found it like so oh, amazing brilliant. to yes. watch. Yeah. Yes, well, Jim, you want to queue up our real com- I mean, we we could probably talk international sports all day and that may be an amazing episode. Yeah. Yeah, no, we we should because I I went to a a an Irish hurling match when I was in Ireland mm, 13 years ago or so. That was fun. <laughs> but um yeah, let's go ahead and dig in. Um so this week, Jason, we've got a special guest with us. So you know, on, on previous episodes, we've discussed how digital analytics uh, doesn't have a seat at at the big table in many, many organizations. Um, it's an afterthought to to development. It's, it's a low priority when same features are being developed or even whole new sites. And management often doesn't care until um, something breaks and it, it it's too late to do something. Um, so this week we're boined, uh, joined, not boined, joined by, uh, Deepesh Shah. Uh, he's someone, Jason, that you connected with, uh, via social media. You had a chat with him. I chatted with him and we thought, Hey, this would be a great, uh, a great conversation to, to, to get his perspective on as well. Uh, Deepesh is a marketing and data te- uh, technology consultant based in, based in the UK with, with many, many years of experience. So Deepesh first, it's, uh, it's great to, to have you here and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah. So before we, before we dig in, um, what I when we have guests, one of the things I like to do is, is is kick it over to them first, just to give a little bit more detail on their background, catch catch our listeners up on uh, you know some of the experience that they have. Yeah. So um, thank you. So I guess I've been working for I've been in the industry for around twelve years, um, primarily agency side, but I've done quite a few. I've got I've done a few old contract jobs with client side. So primarily everything around just technology, data, measurement. So it could be from Google Analytics, Tag Managers, attribution, measurements, um, technology stacks. So looking at it from from sorry, so from pure technical implementation work to, to analytics to measurement to strategy and consultancy, which I've been doing more of the latter of late. So I've got I think got broad experience of that. And I've got a good understanding of just the general market in the media side of it. So at the moment, I'm redundant. So it's quite nice. I'm actually enjoying it. It's just coming to nearly six months, but I've been taking the time out. So I've been learning some Python, learning some SQL. I've been doing a uh, marketing week MBA with Mark Richardson. Highly recommend it. So to give you a, a general broad overview of marketing as well. And I thought one of the reasons I was always quite intrigued by marketing just as a general, but I think also, that's where analytics and data, how you define that, needs to get closer to. Talking, getting closer to what are the real marketing objectives and the business objectives. So I guess the issue is with analytics or data is, is always left to the corner. It's like a side dish and it's not really thought about. It's pretty much an afterthought. So being able to understand the whole journey from what the business needs are to what the marketing requirements are and understand everything else around it, you know, the the pains, the points, the the demands and everything, then then data and technology can answer those questions in different ways. And if you do that, then there's an easier, it's an easier proposition to get in new technology and prove the value of it. 
sometimes with all with technology or data or measurement so we need this new technology it's more than as a sideboard than really understanding what what is the purpose of it all and so that's that's what i've been doing in the last few months trying to stitch up the dots and understand just understand more on a broader basis but also like brush up on some skills around python as well Love the intro and and you and I, I think probably had almost a two hour conversation uh, a week or two ago, yep. diving into some of these topics. And that's where a lot, I'm like, man, we need to get you on the podcast. This would, we should have been recording this the whole time. That would have been a, a good conversation for people to, to listen to. Um, and yeah, we, we cross paths on social media and we have a couple overlapping circle. Like I can't remember if we cur- first cross paths on talking data or talking Liverpool, but Liverpool. One of the, yeah. So you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how worlds collide in, in that aspect. So, yeah. um, yeah, so, so, so we ended up talking for a couple hours and I, I think we started the conversation and went down this, this rabbit hole of talking about why, why is analytics so often an afterthought? And I like the, the way you position it as a, as a side dish. And, and we talked a lot of different reasons why it's failed to be elevated up into the executive suite. Um, I wonder if you can take a few minutes and kind of go a little bit deeper in some of your thoughts where we talked about aligning more properly with business initiatives. Um, maybe, talk a little bit about what you see in the market as far as um, initiative-driven analytics programs versus what we see a lot, which is tool-driven analytics programs. Oh, if we go and buy this new tool, it's going to solve all our problems. We'd love to kind of get your sense of what you're you're seeing. Um, not only do you have a lot of experience in the, as we talked about kind of queuing this up in the agency space and the ad space, um, but also, you know, you're, you're based in, in the UK and, and sometimes there's businesses take a little bit different view of things as, than we see here in the States. So I'd love to get your perspective around that. Yes, I think I think it's I think the way analytics has gone is the way the domination of probably GAFA. So the likes of Google and Adobe primarily and the Facebooks have gone in that way. So Google's worlds and Adobe worlds have gone in with big sales teams to get agencies, you know, partnered up um, to go and sell the solutions. Or they go directly to businesses. So it becomes like Oh, we've got this fancy tool, and and this is perfect for you guys, and perfect for your business. So I guess that's the you know the platform solution. <clears throat> and in some cases, it does work, but the problem is yeah, it's too far removed from the actual business in terms of what the business needs. Have they got the technical capabilities to do it? And so, I guess we spoke about Jason about the world of Adobe's. Adobe gets sold in, but the real technical implementation work of it to get it really you know sold in, into the business. Is, is very far and few. I th- you know, I think there's probably a couple of handful of Adobe specialists who can really do the work within the, you know, within within the UK. So that also that becomes a challenge. So it's just like the tools have their own objectives, or the people working or selling those tools have a have a specific objective to what the real business objective is. So you know, you if you already got two different objectives, it's going to be a clash of heads, and that and that's where the issue is. And stuff like is the cost of the tools isn't matched up to the resources. You know, so I think it's Avanish talks about the 80-20 rule, but it never is really, it flips around normally. It's, not, it's never the 80-20 rule of 20% technology and 80% people. What happens is 80% technology and 20% people. So you never really fully utilize it. So examples, the Google stack can be a very good stack. Depends where you want to go, where, where you think of Google, but if you think the Google stack is useful, then you need to, you need to, put the resources and time and commitment against it, you get the resources, you get the best out of it. 
then I guess is, and, and I guess what you can call that, you can call that solution like a bottom-up approach. The solution goes into the business. I guess the other solution is a top-down approach and really understanding what are the what are the drivers, what are the real requirements of the business, then understanding what technology, what resources, what training do we need to go and drive that business going forward. Then if then in those businesses, whatever whatever is mapped out here, data plays a crucial role in every single stage of it, whether it's that in in the in the marketing mix model side of it, understanding chat media performances, or it could be customer journeys. And then you know you you get then the to source the right technologies for individual solutions, individual projects becomes a far easier thing. But I guess what happens is then also you've got the issue is, is I guess there's there's a gap now of skills and experiences and knowledges now of you know of technology or understanding the business requirements of being able to really go and deliver something as well. So whether that's agency side or whether that's client side, so I think it's a mix of both. I don't think you can blame anyone specifically, is but I don't think in, probably in the, on the agency side there isn't enough skills or resources or I saw one of your tweets, agencies maybe do it for their side of it, Jason, where the client side is how do they go and justify something to do it where they can probably get a cheaper deal elsewhere. So I don't think there's any perfect solution. I don't think you can blame agencies or you can blame clients. I think there needs to be from the marketing team perspective. So I guess the challenge is here is marketing can't sell it into the business, into the senior management. And that's the issue. But then I guess it requires the marketing team with the agency, who however you group that up here, needs to be needs to get a better understanding of it, but and better understand the requirements, get better technical knowledge, train up, ask the right questions, then you can put a, then you can put a business case and proof value that this is what we need and this is where we need to go to. So, so let's talk about that a little bit because that that kind of gets into um, both the spirit of the tweet I put out the other day talking about agencies doing analytics. Is that a good idea or not? Um, but, but I think more fundamentally, I think it gets to a challenge that most businesses aren't really talking about. And it is this bifurcation between uh, the analytics function that many businesses have now built in and the marketing teams where there seems to be very little collaboration or partnership between the two, which is creating this division internally, which pits, you know, agencies and people against each other. I, I, I will tell you of doing this from a 33-6 perspective for the last eight years and then being in the industry for the last 16 years. Uh, I've seen a very common theme, and on, and maybe we can spend a little time um, thinking through why this is happening. But to your your point, um, it's important to align with where the the budget is being spent. We have you know media teams spending massive amounts on on advertising, wanting to know how to do that more efficiently, wanting to understand how we can uh, increase the value and return on that spend. Oftentimes what they will do is they will go out and align with their agency of record to supply analytics and they're very, very good at at doing media spend analytics and that's where there's an alignment. It creates this instant um, kind of battle internally with existing analytics teams which often have their own agencies and partners that um, oftentimes for good or bad or more tool focused, they have very deep uh, expertise in the implementation of specific technologies and are also a little bit heavier, um, I think, from a, a, an analysis perspective. So have a more hardcore analyst background, probably bring a bit more stats, can do more with programmatic analysis in R or Python. Um, and then these two teams get pitted. 
pitted against each other internally. And because it oftentimes there isn't someone higher up in the organization that is the the tiebreaker, these two teams end up fighting each other and they both end up dead on the battlefield. Um, why, I guess, the one question, do you see, have you seen something similar? And if so, why is that happening? Why are these two teams, which should be working in concert together, oftentimes pitted against each other in organizations? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the, I think that's just a million dollar question. I think the challenge is, I guess, within, within internally within brands is the structure of it, which you might have a, a data science, a BI team, which you're talking about. Then you might have a analytics and optimization team, which is managing the CRO and the Adobe or Google stacks and everything like that. And they're probably two different teams under two different PLs or two different structures, and and they just have different different comps. And I guess it comes from I guess it just comes from top down here yeah, and understanding what are the business objectives, how does that work, where are the overlaps, what do you need to do, and how does it's hard because every every different business has it in so many different ways. And so you know, I've seen it in both. I've seen it. I've seen the good. I guess we've all seen the good and the bad. And I think. The problem is you've got so many different agencies. There needs to be someone within the business on the brand side managing all that, managing the comms. What is the deliverables? What are we doing? How are we achieving X, Y, and Z? And take it from there. And then what happens is, yeah, because there isn't that, that those individual teams or those marketing teams or the or the data science team or the optimization team are talking to their own individual agencies about different things. Or it's literally not the same thing, but in different ways. And that's the thing. So I guess being able to translate business objectives and goals and strategy from marketing to data and analytics and measurement, that I think that's the that's the I think that's the that's the big challenge. And I don't think you know it's being done by the you know certain brands and the really big brands or small niche ones, but it's not done consistently for everyone. I think it's just that ability to have the conversation to really understand the questions and objectives and take that along the take that of course to the internal teams and into the agencies and everything like that yeah I, I, and i think that's a really wise approach i i also i also think that having a top-down approach of having uh, again someone closer to the c-suite being able to help set strategy and vision I, i'm wondering what your opinion is on why why many organizations have failed to elevate it to that level. And I would just tell you anecdotally, I, I've spent most of my career in services, but I did uh, spend four years client-side building an analytics practice. And in those four years, I'm sure I can't remember it all, but I will try. Um, I reported... Uh, I reported to the director of product management. I reported to uh, the creative director. I reported to the engineering manager. I reported to the marketing director. I reported to the CMO. I reported to the CIO. I reported to the VP of finance. So I think that was eight or nine in a four-year period. The company couldn't figure out where I should fit. And I was like kind of bounced around from department to department and I don't think that that experience was unique to me. We see it in so many organizations where they're struggling to figure out, well, where do we put this team? Why, why do you think that's happening? I think why that's happening, I think, I guess businesses have struggled. They understand the importance of it, of the general data, obviously with technology and everything, but understand, don't know really where the value sits. And and wh- whose responsibility is that? And 
and maybe in a truly quite a big organization that probably should sit within a, a chief data and technology officer. I don't know whether that's a two role or one role, and it filters down on that side of it, or maybe in a smaller organization under the marketing director. I think it's just, it's just understanding the value of it. So I'm guessing, and also the issue is, I guess, those kind of roles where there's a CMO, then below that might be the CDO, however you structure it, those roles keep on changing, and that's the issue. So everyone comes in with slightly different experiences and knowledges or objectives or relationships with other people or other agencies. So it just becomes a cycle. And I guess with data, you just, with all of everything around data, it needs a consistent, it needs a consistent kind of voice for it to be pushed and pushed and pushed and talking about the value that it keeps on adding. But if you keep on getting different voices and different views and opinions around it, that's where the challenge becomes. So it's just, as much as we can push it or I can push it or any of us can push it, yeah, then you need someone internally. So I guess yeah. when, when we work 80s aside, you need a mentor, you need someone to really go and support you, then that person needs to be able to have someone with internally who supports them to go and push things accordingly. Sometimes as an agency, we've all done it, you work with someone internally who's great, yeah, but doesn't have the the power or the knowledge or the capabilities to go and really take it forward. And so the great work we've done. And that's and that's the and that's the challenge. Yeah. Um I'm I'm interested in uh, again when we queued up and you talked about your your bio and your background your um, extensive experience in the the media space um, from an analytics uh, perspective we we all we all have kind of uh, blind spots in our vision we always think that our our stance is the right stance and it's never 100 percent true and we have so much to learn from from others' experience I'm I'm interested in. Um, and a lot of our listeners come from the space where it's a, uh, for lack of a better word, a digital analytics first approach in that um, from a services offering uh, from the background we come from, that that's our, our go-to-market, right? Like we do we do analytics, we do optimization, that's what we do, which which differs from an agency side where they, they're managing spend and, and media and oftentimes creative. And analytics is a, a really good complementary service to that, but it's not their their only service. I'm, I'm interested in what, from your perspective, looking out, you know, those agencies that are in our space or people that are taking that more digital analytics approach first. What we're missing, what you know, what what folks that are doing on the media side from an analytics perspective, what can we learn from from them? Honestly, I just I. I would say it, it just becomes, if you're talking about a client who's spending, just say, 20, 30% of their budget, of the market and overall budget on paid media, paid search, paid social, programmatic, whatever that is here, it's probably just an easier way just to have that conversation and get that approved, where going to a specific led data consultancy or energy consultancy like you guys, it becomes more, it just, it's the cost side of it. And also I think yeah, one thing we haven't talked about is with the businesses is procurement. Procurement are ballsy and that becomes the challenge. So sometimes you can work with, I could, you know, I could be working with, a, um, I could be working on one agency and there could be another agency and it's just maybe easier for the client to work with the agency because they don't have to go through procurement and all the hassle around procurement for it, 
and also maybe even just to get another vendor on board as well and all the paperwork behind that and the legalities now with everything you know everything involved within the, within the world now so i think i think you got that you got that procurement and the legal side of it and also i think it is easier when an agency is holding a good core of the budget in terms of spending budget and that's it okay. so and, and i think for someone to go to a separate unique a, a, a separate agency away from the from the who's doing the paid media i think that per, that that client needs to it probably truly understands the value of the of what they're getting out of it and understand what what, what are the true business requirements and that we really need someone who's going to be dedicated has a good experience and can push our our team internally technically and we can get where we want to get to in the next space of 6 to 12 months there's a there's some sort of vision here might not be the perfect vision but there's some sort of vision that this is where we need to get to where for the agency for the clients who will probably give it to the paid media agency it's just like okay great anything we get out of it is great but you know yeah. it's never going to prove the incremental value where you guys can probably show the incremental value but that's over a period of 12 months that's right yeah, no, and 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 I don't know if you're purposefully trying to trigger me with procurement, but man, I can, I, I'm not going to take the bait on that one because I can just go off, and it it may not be pretty. But you're you're absolutely right. In fact, um, I've appreciated prospects that I've worked with that have have flat out, you know, told me like this is what I'm dealing with. And I I recently a couple months ago talked with a prospect, and and they said pretty much similarly to what you said. They said, look. We know if we went with you, we would get a premier product, but we, we're already embedded with our, our, our media agency. They have a complimentary analytics service. They're already onboarded. It's so much easier to add us in, and it's a really good product, and we're okay with really good. We know we can get a premier product with you, but it's just not worth that the headache and the hassle of trying to make this work through through our procurement process. So I'm like, I appreciate the honesty. I get it. You know, I, I get it. And and. And you know it is like a lot of times, really good is 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 good enough. Um, where where do you see things going? I mean, obviously there there's a lot, and we could spend time picking on any of the challenges that that the space has. Um, and you made some introductions to me of some super cool companies based in the the UK that are doing some really fascinating things with data. Um, I think for the past what year or so, everyone has been talking about. Uh, AI and predictive and and building in more personalized experiences and we need to go that route. Um, what do you see on the, the landscape? What what as someone from a digital or from a uh, media perspective applying data? Uh, what what should we be aware of that's coming up? I, th- I, th- I think it's I think it's mainly around the role and the value of data and cookies going away. You know, so you know. So what what does that data mean now? So, you know, it's obviously becomes harder in terms of not I, I want to say not trusting the data. It just depends how you look at the data and how you interpret the data and how you give the insight. So you'll never be able to report to users in any in any form really, not to get too technical on this call call. But I think understanding is a conversation around first party data. So you know the, the recommendations are made, yeah. Um, with one of them, which mainly around first-party data, and I think that is the the next big, you know, I mean, it probably it's already very big now, yeah, but I think that's the next big thing around it all, because cookies are cook, cookies will always, cookies will always be there, but in terms of what it was for, or like marketing, media, remarketing, and analytics and everything, and, and the story it could give you, 
that's not going to long longer be there to the same just to the same forte. It's still going to always be there to do that, but it's just getting clients to understand how that's changing and becoming all around first party data. And also, I think what's going to be big is second party second party data partnerships as well. And that's become so one of the companies I've spoken to about. They can help you with that definitely. So it's understanding where the opportunity is, how does that work. So just thinking more broadly on the data space, not thinking so much the solution focus space. Don't think of Google and Adobe. They can do this, this, and this. Because now, yeah, from when Google started probably five, I don't know how when Google started selling the stack yet. Yeah, when that was to the world now, yeah, it's a very different. It's a very different world in terms of data. There's so much more data availability now in terms of you know what data you can gather and all that around that side of it. So on, on that side of it, and also I think just getting better data control and ownership and management of your data. And I think that's going to become a big thing as well. Just depends where businesses want to go with, that becomes a very big, big thing. And that's, that's not only a analytics thing, it's not even only a marketing thing. I think that just becomes a business thing as well. Because you might have clients who might have stores, so all the store data. Are they using like a Shopify or a big commerce linked up to you know to the whole websites and everything like that? Then you've got the CRM data, you've got your analytics data, you've got all your campaign data, you've got survey data, you know, research data. Where is that going? Loads of businesses don't have access or control or ownership of that data. And you, you know, and that's going to become part of the world of cookies and falling away to first party cookie, first party data. And it's all going to just become like data control, ownership and management around that side of it. Uh, I'm interested in your take on the complexity of, of MarTech stacks. When I first started doing this in 2004, helping companies implement um, analytics, it, it was pretty common to see three or four primary players or primary marketing technologies deployed on the website. Uh, I took a look at a company website a couple weeks ago, and they had more than 20 marketing technologies deployed on the site. And that's not counting um, your conversion tags from like a live ramp or a double click or Facebook. Those are completely separate. Um, have we gone too far? Do we need to simplify? Or um, are, are companies really making the most out of all those technologies they are deploying on their sites? Yeah, so I read a stat here. Um, I think it was on the chief market on website. A, a, a brand has on average 91 different martech tools available to them. 91. So I think I think that obviously that says the complexity. And I think we have gone, I think that we have gone overboard. I think that comes down to the upfront conversation around multiple different teams working in silos. So you got your your CRO team, then you go to analytics team, then you go to your BI team and your media team. So many different teams and agencies working together, you know, um, adding in tags all the different time. Yeah, I think we have gone overboard. I've done I've done quite a few different audits of late, and I've cleaned up humongous GTMs which were like at probably ninety five percent, and streamlined it where you had so many different tags. And I, I worked with one where they had no idea what they were doing, what was on the on the website. So I've literally imported a totally blank GTM container and started afresh. It was a bit of a minefield just to get through it. So I thought, okay, let me take a bit of a punt, do it. Then I just managed everything through data layers and deployed everything again. All the ta- all the different tags, Facebooks, and everything like that. So you know that, that that shows the complexity of it, and it gave them what they want, which is good, yeah. But I think 
I, I think on that side, yeah, so we are going overboard also. I don't, I don't think there's a process really, whether it's between clients or agencies, it probably sits more with client side of understanding what they have, do they really need it? Because loads of those tags are, are not needed anymore because they're not working with those vendors. So the those of, I don't know, you know, then it's a question of GDPR. Is there a GDPR area where you're still t collecting tags and you're passing data over? Then it depends. Just say it could be a critio. You know, we know critio has been all over the you know news about you know GDPRs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what are they doing with the data? Because you're only powering those you know vendors to keep on collecting data from you and using data in different ways. So I, I think it just it just comes down to a process part of it, understanding. What data do they have? What tags do they have? And do they need it or not anymore? But I think there is too many. So I'm working, bizarrely, I'm working on a project now, which I, I spoke to you about. And I, I, even in my stack, I'm saying, oh, like, what you need, yeah, still works out to be about 15, 16 different technology tools, which is still, you know, quite humongous, which is where the solution, where Google solution makes it very, the Google solution is very easy and simple to understand. Mm -hmm. It's literally yeah, that's the draw. That's the draw. You could literally have an analytics tag, an AdWords tag, a Google optimized tag. You could get away with probably half a dozen tags, with a few others like Facebook and everything, and that's it. And that, then that benefits your website. It benefits your user experience. It benefits your load times and everything else like around that side. So you know, the more tags you add, yeah, the significant impact that has on your user experience and load times. There's no website. Is perfect with WebEx user experience and load times. You know, you know, you remove all those tags, it, it has a significant impact. Why, why aren't companies doing that? I, 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 I was smiling when he said something because it reminded me. I did a, an assessment for a company a while ago, and I found a, a tag, and I said, "What, what are we doing with this technology?" They're like, "Wait, that's on our site." I said, "Yeah." They're, they said, "We ended our contract with them four years ago." And I'm like, "What?" it's so easy to get stuff on no one's thinking about the maintenance of it and and taking stuff off when it's no longer needed so it just seems to become a huge dumping ground for for all these technologies that we got to throw on the website so. yeah yeah i think i think you know it's like i think i think i, I wrote an article about tagmas i think they're very underrated but they're, they're so valuable around it and I, th I think people just think tag manager and you just dump everything into it in tag managers have been great here because it's breaking the silos away from developers and you can get things done much easier and, and much quicker. But also tag management has caused issues where you just dump things in and then you forget yeah. about it. Yeah, and I and I think that that's the balance that, that needs to be to be drawn and and ultimately that's it and development's biggest fear of the tag manager is that marketing is just going to go rogue and deploy stuff i i think the best run tag management practices i've seen have been a really strong partnership between development and and mark martech for for sure um jim you want also to... on that point is also oh, yeah. i think also i think i also if you think about the role of it think of what it was like 10 15 years ago and what it is now the IT, you probably saw IT sixteen from the world of the big data world, in terms of you know servers and data lakes and all that kind of stuff. They also need to take an important role, understand the role of stuff like a tag manager and everything around that, because obviously that impacts their ability on servers and load times. So you know there's a there's interconnectivity interconnectivity between all the different synergies and teams involved as well now. 
Jim, I, as I usually do, I dominate the, the questions and I want to give you a chance to jump in if you have anything bouncing around in your head. Yeah, no, 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 it, it, it's fine. This is this is another one where I've just kind of been able to, to sit back and enjoy the conversation. But, you know, talking about tag managers and, you know, sometimes like the the animosity they can bring to an organization, you know, like, you know, you were talking about like development seeing, you know, or fearing that marketing could go rogue, um, you know, an organization I worked for 10 years ago or so, you know, as tag managers were becoming more and more readily available uh the 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 technology organization was like firmly against them because they were concerned for for exactly that they had the way the the client contracts were structured it wasn't a licensing deal um it was it was a rev share deal as well as the the way they were also structured that there were strict slas on on uptime and whatnot and they, they saw them as a complete risk and wrote them completely off for, for the longest time because they saw them as, as a wormhole uh, through all kinds of policies and procedures meant to protect the stability of the site. Um, and I mean, they, they were correct. Like they were held to a certain standard around uptime and page performance and, and all of that. And they were like, you know, we, we, we can't enable this. So it, it took time to really get them sold on it. And one of the things that sold them on it was that there was going to be tight, um, tight organization around who could go in there, who could publish it and who was notified when there was a, a publish made. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen that. I think when Tang managers launched, I think it's eight, I think for Google Tang managers it's been eight years, if I'm right. Yes, yes. So I think yeah. at that time, there were quite a few businesses were very anti IT, you know, were very strict around it. Obviously, I think things have loosened up a bit more. Mm -hmm. I think generally now, when websites are launched, tag managers are launched as well. Um, but yeah, at that time, it was. And you probably think maybe it needs to get back to some sort of that route as well, to an extent. Because if you think about with Google Tag Manager launching server-side Tag Manager, obviously, I know Telium already had that as well. The role of all these technologies has changed now because even with server-side, there's a cost against it. So there's a cost now for server-side, maybe in 2021 year, that you probably didn't have two, three years ago. And also the likes of data lakes and data warehouses. So the, there's a cost for that here that you didn't have two, three years years ago as well. So that for just to do anything data lake now, there's a significant cost and impact for it. And it's, it's, mm. and it's not cheap. And it's not cheap. I know one of my friends I was talking to, he, I can't remember where he, where he was, but he... They work on Amazon S3, and he said, yeah, they were told, yeah, they got a £15,000 bill for the last month for the data lake warehouse cost. That's a, a cost of £200,000, just say, yeah. That, and that's, that's on the, I think that's on the low side, probably. Well, yeah, on the low side, but I think they're like a startup base company-ish. So obviously, that, you know, it's a significant cost. So that cost, yeah, for these businesses, one there two, three years ago. So... The value, so maybe it's a good thing, maybe that is happening because it puts analytics and data and measurement and technology at the forefront to understand what is the role and what is the value of it. What are we going to get out of it? Yeah. So, and and I think and I and also I think what you said, what do I see happening? I think that element of the cost side of it is going to be quite significant because eventually, I mean, do you need to go to server side time manager? Maybe you don't yet, but eventually, you know. Over, over the next few years, that might happen with more and more businesses. 
Um, data lakes and data warehouses obviously are getting more and more popular. So obviously, you know, it just depends where you go. Where, what's your, it depends on what's your positioning of data as a business. So obviously, that cost that, was there, that wasn't for the last five years is going to be there. And how do you prove that? <coughs> Unmute while I'm coughing. Uh, I have one last question before we run out of time, and it's completely unrelated, but one that has been really bouncing around in my brain. I had a... Um, I had a debate on, I think, Twitter about this, but one of the trends that we've been seeing uh, in job postings in the analytics space the last six months or so is asking for more and more hardcore technical skills as you go up in the organization. And it has been not uncommon to see requirements for businesses to want VPs of analytics to be proficient in Python, to do data prep, maybe do data analysis or investigation writing SQL. Is that a reasonable ask? And do we want our VPs of analytics going into the weeds that deep? No, no. I think as a bonus, if they have a good understanding of it, so it can be you know talked about in the story and the process behind it, improve the value of it. I mean, if they've done it, you know, time back, but I don't, I don't think you really need to, you know. And also as you go up here and as you get more older, more experienced, you're either going to go two or three different routes, aren't you? And, you know, but no, I, th- I think that's a bit. I think the, probably the person writing this job description doesn't probably really know what the real demands and requirements are for that person. Yeah, that's spot that, on. Because probably yeah. that person probably doesn't have one minute to even think about it. For sure. And that, that's probably a whole other conversation that we see companies across the board struggling with how to hire for analytics. And oftentimes it gets dumped into HR or somewhere else. And the, just... the only rationale I can probably think about it is, is maybe those businesses have realized they haven't been good at it or they've been burned in so many different ways. Yeah. They, they, instead of hiring for two or three different people, because obviously that's significant budget, trying to get someone to do everything. So they need to have a build a relationship with the board, with the senior C-suite board people, and make sure they can deliver on that side of it, and also keep the day-to-day teams in the you know or whatever that structure is, and keep them going and making sure what is happening is getting delivered, you know, to the best of the best of its capabilities and abilities. So, is it naivety team? Maybe I don't know, but I guess it's maybe they've been in a situation where something hasn't gone right for them. And that's where they're always nervous around the data side of it. And they think maybe try and get someone who can do everything and understand everything. Yeah, yeah. So, I, may, so. I mean, maybe in a small, smallish company, that might be a more of a valuable skill sure. just to have an oversight of, okay, what are you doing? How is this working? Does this make sense? Then it's easier to sell it. But I guess if you're talking about far bigger organizations, that's always going to, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get that. It's, it, you know, Nine, nine times out of ten, you won't get that. You might get that one person somewhere in a smallish, medium kind of organization who is a little bit more hands-on. Yeah. No, that's that's good insight. This has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I, I really appreciate you joining us. Not only has it been fun and I think entertaining to have this this talk, but there are, there are several pieces that I could pull out of, out of our conversations that I know will be extremely valuable for our listeners, not only in helping with some of the day-to-day challenges they have, but some of the strategic planning things that they uh, are, are going through as well. So I really appreciate you sharing your experience and insight. I, I know I picked out some some real gems from the conversation, and I think it will resonate really well with with our listeners. So thank you again.
Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. You know, thanks for taking the time. It uh, is great to have you on. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Cool. Thank you. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.